You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. This would be a meeting that somebody else would be preaching at. Man, it's your first meeting at a new venue. We didn't meet last week, and yeah, I get the privilege of meeting. And it reminds me of a critical story that makes me help me relax a little bit. Weddings are my biggest moments. I, I, it's, those weddings are moments where I get very nervous. It's, it's, it's that couple's day, and you don't want to mess it up. And so I can remember I just said, God, just please use me. It's a, it's a ministry opportunity, and um, I don't know anybody at this wedding, but um, just use me. And I did the whole proceedings, and I got off the stage, and I said to Sydney, I said, that felt jolly good. I felt like that was one of my best weddings. I was nervous. I felt that everything flowed, and everything was fine, and I actually felt quite proud of myself. And then, um, so off we go. And one thing Sydney says to me always is, um, when you get an opportunity to pray for food, don't always be so religious in what you do. She says, every time you, people ask you to pray, you say the same prayer. Thank you, Father, for the food. Bless our bodies. Bless hands prepared it and us for our service. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how I grew up. That's what my parents taught me. And so there's a little thing that I recite. Just don't be so religious. Anyway, so going to the reception area, sitting down, relaxing. I think my job's done. And there the guy says, can Pastor Mark come and say grace to us before we, before we eat? And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And all I know, don't be religious about the way that you pray. So I stand there. And you know what I said? I said, Father, we surrender the food unto thee. And as I'm saying, I'm like, what are you saying? So he's like, what are you? Father, we surrender the food unto thee. And in that moment, I just lost track. I started praying for the family. I started praying for the couple. And when I got back to the table, Cindy says, what did you just do? So I said, I don't know. You that make me nervous. So I'm trusting that I don't miss this moment. This is a God moment. And I really do feel like I've got a message for this church. I think there's one thing that I'm passionate about, and um, I, think, I think when we get the, the privilege of traveling apostolically and preaching other churches, I love the book of Ephesians chapter 4, when it talks about different gifts, the point of being a gift or ministering or having the, the, the privilege of ministering in other churches, the fruit of that should be that the church reaches a place of unity, the church gets strengthened, and the church gets encouraged. So I think I've got one objective here this morning, I want to encourage you. And I want to say, God, help this local church individually and corporately that these men and women will walk into the fullness of what you have for them. Because that is the point. We're not called to get saved and then become like a choir that get together and sing good songs. I think, I think worship on a Sunday morning, when we get, and I love this worship, well done, Lorna and the team. I think this is a great thing for us to do. We model something of our relationship with Jesus when we worship. But when we come together like this on a Sunday, this worship that we do with our hands in the air and singing songs is most probably the, the entry level of worship that we can experience in this life. Because true worship is Romans chapter 12. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. And so we come into the presence of God. We say, God, speak to us. Empower us to be who you've called us to be. Because we've not come here together and sing songs and just be a choir. A choir. We've come here to become part of the army of God. Yeah. And an army takes territory. An army advances. And an army moves forward. Right. An army needs to be fearless. Yeah. An army needs to understand who the commanding officer is. An army needs to be respectful of what, what the commanding officer says. And I, so I, I love the analogy of an army. I, I can remember, remember when I went to international service. 
When you first get there, you get screamed at, shouted at. You make, you, they make you feel like you're the lowest form of a human being that you can find. They don't call you by name. They give you a number. They're screaming and shouting at you the whole time. And you, you almost like build like a hate relationship with this commanding, a hate relationship with this commanding officer. Just always screaming and shouting. But there's a point of all of that. When you go into a war situation, that very voice that kept shouting at you is the very voice that you want to listen to when you're in that situation. So when that commanding officer says stop, you stop because you've learned through your basic training how to trust the voice of, of your commanding officer. And I think it's the same for us. I like to use the analogy of, a, of golf. I'm not very good at it, but I, I know that there's a, there's a sweet spot in a golf club. When you hit that sweet spot, the ball seems to just feel like it's going in the right direction. It just feels like it felt good. But there's other times when you slice the ball or you hook it or you shank it. That's not what we want. And what I'm hoping to do this morning, and I'm, I'm really trusting that there'll be a time of ministry afterwards, is that God will help us to reposition ourselves to find ourselves in that sweet spot, individually and corporately, so that together we can walk into the fullness of God. And so I love that scripture that was read this morning. I can do all things through Him. It gives me strength. And I want to just quickly, this is one of the best scriptures I wanted to read this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, don't you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1? Or should I say Philippians chapter 4? And keep your finger there and then just flick back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now here's a guy by the name of Paul. His name was Saul, one of, the, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I love his conversion. I love his passion for Jesus. But this is, this is, this is Paul. And he says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from, from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from fake brothers. I've labored, I've toiled, I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold, I've been naked. But how's this? Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And his face started to glow like that of an angel. Thank you very much. <laughs> well done, whoever was seeing that I was taking him at a strain over there. So here you have a picture of Paul. And I'm like, why didn't Paul throw the towel in? How come we have believers today that get grumpy and say, I don't like the worship, it's too loud, it's too soft. I don't like the drums, it's too loud, it's too soft. I don't like the way the preacher looks. He's too old. He's too young. He's too rough. He looks like a Mexican criminal. I don't know what your thoughts are. There are all these things that we grumble and complain about. We throw the towel in so easily. I heard a man once say, even if we need to crawl, let's crawl over the finish line because we are not living for this life. We are living for the life to come. Paul says this, I have learned to be content. Paul has gone through stuff. He didn't just wake up one day and just say, Jesus met him on his road to Damascus. You know when God met up with Paul? Somebody once said he's most probably the, the equivalent of today's Hitler. Just a man angry, hating God's people. Just a passion to see them being killed, stripped, chucked in prison. That was Paul. And then God meets up with that wicked man. 
He was on his way to get letters from the governors that if I can find anybody belonging to the way, I want to chuck him in prison. You know, God meets up with that man. And then he was blind for a couple of days. Then God gives Ananias a dream and says, you know, Ananias, there's a guy by the name of Saul. He's going to come to you. You're going to pray for him and his eyes will be open. And, and Ananias says this, surely not, Lord, because we know Saul. He hates us. He was the one giving approval to Stephen's death. He's, he's chucking us in prison. He hates the Jews. This is what God, Jesus says. God said to him, Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Friends, when we come into the kingdom of God, there will be some suffering that we'll have to persevere through and endure so that we can walk into the fullness of what God has for us. And Paul didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, this is an easy walk. No, he knew that radical encounters that he had with God enabled him to live the life that God had called him to. And he says this, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And so when we quote that scripture, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, it's not, it's not a declara- declaration of how I want to live my life. It's a declaration of how God's grace has kept me through all the trials and tribulations that I've gone through. Paul wasn't making a prophetic statement. Jesus is with me, and I can do all things through God who strengthens me. Now he had gone through some stuff, and he had seen God's favor and God's hand and God's grace over his life by him persevering and staying in the race. And that's why he says, I know what it's like to have much and nothing. I know what it's like to be cold, I've been flogged. How come I didn't throw the towel in? Because my God gives me strength. And so if you look at the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 15, I'm wanting us to think of an analogy of how do we, how do we live our lives so that we don't backslide. Now, Sint and I, she hates it when I talk about our story because it's not a very glamorous story. In actual fact, one of the things that I want us to understand this morning is for us to make good earthly decisions that will benefit the kingdom of God, we have to have an eternal perspective. And so when Paul says, keep, fix your eyes on the things that are unseen, we will look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians now. He had an exposure to heaven, but he didn't see anything. He heard things. But then he still says, fix your eyes on the things that are unseen. Because he says, I didn't see things, but I heard things. And 2 Corinthians 12 talks about, he says, God took him up into the third heaven. He says, I heard things that I was not permitted to talk about. I want to ask Paul one day. Well, I wouldn't have to ask him one day because when we get to heaven, we'll see this is what Paul heard. I don't know if it was worship. I don't know what he heard. But it said it was, it was such a moment that God allowed him to have that God knew that this little encounter that God has allowed Paul to have while being exposed to something that's going on in heaven can make Paul one of the most proudest men on the face of the earth. And so his preaching could be, ladies and gentlemen, listen to what I have to say, because I know what heaven is all about. You see, God didn't want Paul to get the glory. God wanted Paul to fulfill his ministry, but for Jesus to get the the glory. We're not trying to create a Paul follower. That's why God gave Paul a thorn in his flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment him, to stop him from being conceited. And conceited simply means excessively proud of oneself. And so Paul has this messenger from Satan to torment him, so that he doesn't become so proud of what he's been exposed to. 
But I love the fact that because of what he knows and the humility that he delivers his message with, you and I can learn something from that. And our earthly decisions need to be based on an eternal perspective. Cindy and I should not be here today. It is, and when I say it's by the grace of God, we should not be here today. And I'll tell you why. Because we got saved at a young age. But because of what, I love what Daniel says, he says, it's, it's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. Because when you get saved into a terrible church model that's legalistic and self-righteous, sometimes that can cause you to come to a place of salvation, but then drift away from the things of God because you just don't feel like you can do this Christian thing. No, I, I'm think, there's no do this Christian thing. I'm not a Christian because of what I do or what I don't do. I'm a Christian because of what Jesus has done. And when that revelation is not true for you, then you will backslide because you'll feel like I can't do this. And that's where sin in our work. And we eventually backslid. I moved, I worked for a company, a distributor of Coca-Cola, moved to a company, um, lived in Durban for a while. My, my flatmate's brother was part of one of the biggest, one of, one of the big drug syndicates in, in South Africa. And um, so my flatmate's brother's responsibility was to recruit mules. It's the men and women that uh, so bravely go and take all the drugs out of the country and bring other drugs into the country. Would you believe it that this is our sin and I've got our passports? We were going to be donkeys. This is what we did. We got sucked into this thing and we got our passports. What we were going to do is Cindy and I, this loving wife of mine, we were each going to take 20 kilograms of marijuana packed in our bag jump on a little plane and fly to Holland for a, pre, for a prepaid holiday. And so if you don't know the conversion between rands and dollars, that's fine. But back then, this is in the 1990s, they were going to give us 7,500 rand just as pocket money and all our expenses paid while we're in Holland. And that's each. 7,500 for me, 7,500 for Cindy. We'll take our 20 kilograms of marijuana in our suitcase. And during our stay in Holland, they'll, somebody will come along and they'll give us a little doll to bring back and there'll be 20,000 XTC tablets in there. And so we'll each bring a little trophy back. And when we get back after our nice little holiday, they'll give us each another 7,500 rand. So I'm like, that's 30,000 rand, babes. I said, we only need to do this like two, three times a year and then we can just find out what, what life is all about. So we went to the plot for our passports. And some of our friends had gone before us, so we knew that there's a risk involved, but there's, there's money. And so we had our eyes fixed on the prize, and that's what made us go and get our passports. Fortunately, my friend's brother got caught in Amsterdam, by God's grace, and he went to prison. And in that moment, I said to Cindy, we can't risk this. And only much later... We saw that the doors had opened for us to travel internationally. I was reminded by God's grace. You see, as a believer, I was a believer at that stage. But my earthly decisions weren't based on an eternal perspective. Just scratching around the earth to find my place. No, God has got a plan and a purpose for us. And Paul talks about this. He says, he said, when, he, when he speaks in 2 Corinthians, he says, he says you know, I, I want to depart and be with God. But I want to, I want to remain in the, in, the, in the body and, and be with you. He says, I don't know what's better. To, and he says, it will be better for me to depart and be with God. Why? Because he's, he's had an experience. But at the same time, he says, it's for your purpose that I remain in the flesh. And he says, I'm torn between the two. And I think for you and I, for us to walk into the fullness of what God has for us, there needs to be that tension. And so the tension is not to help us to become more secure in the things in this world, because we are in this world. When people look at us as believers, I have this sort of, um, I wish I could have had an illustration. I say, imagine, use your prophetic 
your prophetic or your creative thoughts or whatever. Imagine there's a, there's a hook bolted into that concrete wall over there. And there's a hook bolted in this concrete on this floor where I'm standing now. This is the ground. And then as I get saved, I get hooked to the things of God up there. But sometimes during life, things start slacking. And, and there's not that tension between me. Because I'm not, I take my eyes off Jesus. And I start focusing on things of the, on the, of the world. And troubles and tribulations that we go through. And my relationship with Jesus seems to start slacking. That doesn't mean that I need to say, God, what more must I do over here? No, it's, God, what more must I do there? So I have this thing of like a ratchet. You spend more time in the presence of God. And as you do that, you start tensioning your relationship. Then you grip by an eternal perspective. And it helps you to make earthly contribution in this life. We're not called to just flip flop around this world. God has called us to represent Jesus. We have to impact and influence. And I feel like there is a way. For you and I to find ourselves in the center of what God has for us. And if you would love to turn with me to the book of Matthew. And I'm not going to make the same mistake I made on Thursday by saying I'm closing with this. Because <laughs> a lot of people started laughing at me when I started saying I'll close with this. And I think it was the third or fourth closing. So let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 19. And we'll see if Jesus wants us to close with this. And so this is an incredible passage of Scripture. And, I, and honestly, we don't, we don't make ministry opportunities. We don't try and create things. We don't try and work things up. But I really do feel that this is not just a message for this local church. I, if there's ever a time in my life where I am convicted by my own preaching, it is this message what, what I'm going to close right now. Because this has got nothing to do with what we do or with what we don't do. I can remember having a conversation with the, the late Michael Eaton, just a wonderful theologian. I, I just love spending time reading his books and stuff. And I, I think I started, I mean, I've stopped now, but I think I was over-quoting Michael Eaton and people started to say, I've got, a, I've got an Eaton disorder, which, um, which I just thought I need to quote, quote more scripture. But I, you know, one of the most profound things of having a conversation with this, this wonderful theologian driving in the car, and I said to him, Michael, I said, I'm a young guy, I lead a church back home in Pangani. Give me the one thing that you can say to a young guy that's leading a church back home. The one thing that will help me in my ministry, in my walk with God. And without hesitation, he says, it's as simple as this, Mark. It's an easy thing. Learn to listen to Jesus every day. And I'm like, carry on. That is it. Learn to listen to Jesus every day. You see, there's the written word. Yeah, we can obey that. But there's the spoken word of God. Are we prepared to obey that? You see, we can be so religious in what we do and what the Bible says. But it's the things that God tells us to do that we sometimes find difficult to let go of. And that's what prevents us from walking into the fullness of what God has for us. You see, Jesus tells this parable of people that are so confident of their own righteousness. Luke chapter 18. And he says, for those that are so confident of their own self-righteousness, he told them this parable. He said, two men went up to the place to pray. One a tax collector and the other one a Pharisee. And the Pharisee walked up and he prayed. He said... God, I thank you. I thank you for who I am. I thank you that I'm not like these adulterers, sinners. And he says, and even this tax collector, he says, I pray, I tithe every day. That was the self-righteous prayer that this guy was praying. It was about himself and what he was doing. And Jesus then turns and he says, and then the tax collector, he said he would not even look up to heaven. It says he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that man, Went home justified. See, my friends, 
It's a place of humility. God, have mercy on us. Then we are able to hear what God wants to say to us, not just through the written word, but through his spoken word. And when he speaks, those are sometimes the hardest things to obey because they're not necessarily sinful things that are holding us back. I think it's Hebrews 12. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. Now, dealing with sin is the one thing, but there's other things in our life that hinder us. And you might be thinking, why are you talking about this? Why are you wanting us to stop and give up things? I'm not asking you to stop and give up anything. My heart's desire is for every single one of us to walk into the fullness of what God has for us. And I know for that to happen, we need to listen to the written word and the spoken word of God. And as we hear him, God says, you will be rewarded for the things done in the flesh. And so my reward in heaven is not just based on living according to the word of God. It's by living every day. Jesus, what do I do in this situation? This left, right. Jesus, I'm going to follow. You will reward us for our faithfulness. And so this is how this passage goes. A rich young ruler, Matthew chapter 19. And I am going to close with this. Now a man came to Jesus and he asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to enter eternal life? Why do you ask what's good? Jesus asked. There's only one who is good, and if you want to obey and you want to enter life, well then obey the commandments. Which one is the man inquired? Jesus replied, Do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbors yourself. The man says, All this I've kept, the young man said. You see, it's a little bit arrogant when you feel like I'm doing okay. I know what I know what Christianity is about, I'm obeying all these things. Then he asks the question. But he's, he hasn't got an eternal perspective, and that's what influenced his decision-making. So he says, all these I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And when we have a time of ministry after, afterwards, a little bit later, I'm hoping that we can all just have a moment where we just bow before God and ask the same question. It's not about what we do in Jesus. What do we still lack for us to walk into all that you have for us? And for every single one of us, it might look different. For some, it might be nothing. Jesus, well done, you've been a faithful servant. For others, there might be something that God is wanting you to let go of that might be a price that you need to pay. But I want you to hear when I read this passage of Scripture. The price that we pay is, is if, if you look at the privilege that awaits, etern- in, uh, our eternal privilege that awaits, it far outweighs the price that we pay. What do I still have? For that man, it was wealth. So this isn't a message about wealth. Oh, the kingdom needs business people. The kingdom needs money. Because if you've got money, praise God. Use it with your ear tuned to an eternal perspective. What was all that? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect. And this is what we want as believers. We want to be perfect. We want to walk into all that God has for us. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions. Give to the poor. And you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Not, what did this guy not understand? He has a win-win situation. He says he's a wealthy man. He says, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Then, but I think at that moment, that man's ears were closed. Why? Because he was so gripped by his wealth. That was the thing. He was not prepared. He will do everything, but don't touch my wealth. And then when we live in that place, we cannot hear the plans and purposes God has for us. Because God said to him, he didn't say, I'm going to make your life miserable. He says, sell everything you have, give to the poor. He says, I will give you a reward in heaven. 
I'm going to replace this little earthly riches of yours and I'm going to reward you. So God knew, Jesus knew the price that this man would have to pay. And so his reward would be based on his faithfulness. And so he gave up a very big reward because this is what brought him his security. And then Jesus says, come and follow me. Eternal reward and the ability to walk with Jesus. That is what he wants. And then his disciples, listen to this now. Jesus said, who can be saved? Who can walk in? Jesus says, you know what? It's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than what it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. And then his disciples says, well, then who can be saved? Who can enter into all that you have for us? And I know some different theologians might have different ideas on the eye of a needle. And one of the stories that I like is that you picture this big city and it's, it's, got, a, it's got a ruler that, that supplies your food and safety and security. And you've got these massive gates and every night when, it, when, the, when the sun goes down, people come into the city and the massive doors get closed and you're in a place of safety. That's your protection. But sometimes with your trading, maybe your camel broke its foot or something and you got home too late and all of a sudden you get there and the doors are closed and, oh, what am I doing now? Now you've got all this stuff that you've just traded and bought it. Your camel is fully loaded with some stuff and you've got a decision to make. I need to get into the city. I need to get into a place of safety. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants to get us into a place of safety where He guards us, He protects us. And so there's this little entrance, back entrance into the city, a narrow entrance. It's a long entrance. And only the camel can fit through there. And so this guy needs to make a decision. How do I get into a place of safety? Well, you can offload your camel and lose everything outside and get yourself into a place of safety. But as long as you're carrying all this baggage, you're never going to enter into all that God has for you. And so I have this picture with God. God has challenged me on this thing. He's asked me to give up some stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm, a, I'm, I'm on my camel. God's asked me to let go of something. And I'm like, I'm going to, before I let go of this thing, I'm going to just try and see if I can get in without letting go of this thing. And I'm like, I feel like I'm a, like on this camel, just taking a run up to that entrance. And I run as fast as I can and poof, and you just get stuck in there. And you can't go anywhere. That's not a place that we want to live. Now actually I need to make a decision. If I want to enter into everything God has for me, there might just be something that God wants me to let go of so that I can grace all that He has for me. Can we ask the worship team to come up to the front? Can we end just with a, just with a moment? I, you know, I feel like for this local church, you have just given up something. You have something of the known, the comfort zone, and you've now entered into something of the unknown. Who knows what the future looks like? But sometimes we need to give up something so that we can embrace the next and the new. And I'm convinced of this. I love the book of Ephesians where it talks about the gifts that God gives that brings a church to a place of unity. It's so that the, every supporting ligament does its work. This is God's desire. For us to be that sitting hill that cannot be hidden, every single one of us need to walk into the fullness of what God has for us. And I want to say this. Every single one of us has a role to play. You cannot say, no, I've just been called to be a spectator. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are His chosen instrument. And you might have to suffer a little bit. But may an eternal perspective help us, Lord Jesus, to make earthly decisions so that we can walk into the fullness of what you have for us. Is that fine for you? Maybe just ask if we just spend a moment. I'll hand over to Terry in a second. I think it would be great for us just to 
If you've come through all that, just to bow your head just where you're sitting and saying, actually, Lord, this isn't about what I'm doing or what I've done or what I have. God, I'm going to ask you right now, is there something that I'm still lacking? Is there something you're asking me just to not just let go of that thing, man? I know it's dear to you. I know that you enjoy it. I know, I know it brings you some comfort and joy. But that thing's holding you back. Mark, won't you let that thing go? And trust me that you'll be able to walk into more than I have for you. Can we do that as a local church? Just say that, Mark. If there's nothing, that's fine. Just say, God, I want to be that.